You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Thank you so much. What a an honor to get to be with you guys. It's been almost a year, I think. Uh, because I, I know that because the war, we were just discussing, the war started almost a year ago, verbatim, uh, or to the day, and we got to, I came out recently after that and, and gave you that little update. I think my role that I get to be a part of, <laughs> that I'm honored to get to be a part of in the church as a whole is really unique, and I, I don't ever want to take that lightly. Um, I get to travel from spot to spot supporting missionaries who are doing the work God has called them to do. And I get to go to the next city over and go, did you hear about what God's doing over there? <laughs> and then I come here to you guys and I go, did you guys hear about what God's doing over there? That is, there's enormous value in us pushing one another forward by bringing each other realization that there is life happening in other parts of the world, Right? Like being able to stand and say, because of food, <laughs> or because you gave here, or you gave here, we we're able to bring life over here, and the gospel is working. But you might not ever hear that if someone doesn't return back and go, look what happened, right? And so I, I don't take that lightly. My role in a Jesus mission, we have 120 or 130 missionaries working across 18 countries. Uh, Ukraine is one of those 18. We have people doing a, an enormity of things because what we follow as the church is relationships and people. And we chase down the people we know that are doing something and go, how can we push you? How can the church come behind you and give, just, just help put on the gas, right? And so I was in Pakistan about four weeks ago. I don't know if you guys have ever gone to Pakistan. I know you know of it. Uh, in the news, you might see it as the number one exporter of terror. It's where Osama bin Laden was killed. It's, it's an Islamic nation. Its title is literally the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. <laughs> and we have a missionary there. His name is Samuel Bashir. You might go, is it safe to say his name? He wants to boldly declare that he follows Jesus in this nation. <laughs> Pakistan is a country of a 230 plus million people. This is the fifth most populous country in the world. Lahore, Pakistan, which is up to the uh, like east northeast, uh, is is a city of 12 million people. It's about a half hour drive from the border of India where those borders were drawn essentially by religion. You've got Hindus and on this side, and you've got Muslims on this side. But nestled in Lahore is this incredible community that I got to be a part of called Yohanabad. And in the neighborhood of Yohanabad is the church. <laughs> There's a lot of little churches. There's a lot of people gathering together, living in close-knit community because they are literally at risk of losing their life for professing their faith. <laughs> And so I went to visit our missionary. Samuel Bashir is a 54-year-old Pakistani guy who grew up there. He heard the gospel. He responded to it. And he, if you talk to him, he just says, I'm a, a pastor and evangelist. And Samuel spends his days literally traversing the city and the region, just looking for pieces of the church to push it forward. And he, he goes to the villages and to the, the marketplaces, and he, he just preaches the gospel. <laughs> he says, have you ever heard of Jesus? <laughs> and that's quite dangerous where he lives. And yet, he says, if I lose my life, but others come to know Jesus, that, 
is a life well used. <laughs> and he, he's, he's not nervous about that, right? So Samuel is a missionary with the Jesus Mission. We brought him on about five years ago, and we said, we just want to be a support to you. We want to bring value in the kingdom of God to one another. And, and so finally... After many years, we finally got visas, and we were able to go visit Sam in January and early February, and me and three other guys from a Jesus mission went, uh, and we stuck out there pretty, like a, like, I don't know, what do you say, a sore thumb? <laughs> we, I'm about a foot and a half taller than all Pakistani people, it seems like, and uh, I'm white, so everywhere we go, people are like, what are you doing here? How, why are you here? And we got to come and stand alongside Sam and go, we're here. Because the church over here wanted to send support to you, (laughs) wanted to come be a part of what God's doing here. And so we said, Samuel, you know your city, you know your people, you know what we're here to do. Like, tell us where to go. Put us in, coach. (laughs) And we just said, Samuel, you just take us on a tour. Just show us what you want us to see. And for the next series of about 10 days, we, from Dawn until like midnight, two or three in the morning, Samuel kept us moving. (laughs) We drove all over that region. We went up in the villages, in the mountains. We went down to this area over here. And everywhere we would go, Samuel was like, there are some believers in this village. Go find them. (laughs) We'd get out of the car. We're like, we stand out quite a bit. (laughs) And there's also a high risk because this is a Muslim nation that is aggressive toward Christianity. And Sam's like, but God will protect you. There are some believers over there. I'm going to go to that village. You go to that village. Go find them. And as soon as we would walk into a city, <laughs> any city Sam would take us to, somebody would come up to us and be like, are you a Christian? <laughs> are you a brother? <laughs> and we'd be like, uh, yeah, are, are you? Like One of those, like, are you? Uh, yes? No? One of our taxi drivers had a cross hanging, and, and as soon as he learned that we were Christians, he literally, he wouldn't let us pay for our ride. He embraced us for like 10 minutes and was like, would not let us get out of his car. He was like, come to my house and pray for my family and be, like, he earnestly was like, do not leave me for a moment. I want to celebrate what we believe together. <laughs> what if Christians here were marked by that? <laughs> that would be shocking. We're marked by some other divisive things, but that's not what I'm here to talk about today. (laughs) Samuel took us to these cities, and he said, go find believers. And so this one village he dropped me off at, uh, me and, like, my translator and a small team of us, and we were walking, and this this guy comes up, and he goes, are you a Christian? Yes. I'm like, okay. And he goes, oh, Samuel has been coming to this village for 10 years. He led me to the Lord in the market, and he discipled me, and he said, "Uh, go and preach Jesus where you're from. And so I came to this village, and uh, we don't have any supplies, but now we have 500 students in a school that we teach every, like they started a school, and they preach the gospel to 500 students a week, just like day in, day out. And he's going, I was dead but Samuel brought life and through the hope of the gospel and now we're seeing this and like it was shocking I don't know I was telling Sam and these guys last night in all of my journeys around the world to support missionaries I don't know if I've ever seen the church more alive and more just fruitful than I did in that week in Pakistan (laughs) and I went to a church on Sunday morning and they Sam was like, oh, I'm going to have you preach over here, and you preach over here. Like, let's scatter you up among the gathered churches. And to get to church, we came into the little, that Yohanabad region, and we get in there, and there is barricades everywhere. And there is, imagine if all of your 16 to 25-year-old guys in here took an AK-47 and went out and set up barricades and put those guns pointed out and just said, 
Are you coming to church? <laughs> because they are protecting the church. <laughs> like literally, physically, they're gathered together, and they do not care if people hear that they're declaring the name of Jesus in their community. Because I went into a room that's no bigger than this stage, and it was, imagine putting those speakers in this room and turning it all the way up. <laughs> it was shockingly loud. I traveled in a touring rock band for 15 years, and I was uncomfortable. <laughs> it, was, it was shockingly loud, and they, would, they sang forever, and they're just like, even we're like, man, there's safety to do this? And they're like, well, no, but people need to hear the name of Jesus, and we're going to sing it, <laughs> Right? Imagine if in our communities, we, when we gather on Sunday, we're like, open the windows and turn it all the way up because people out there are dying and going to hell, and we have the hope of the gospel. Let's declare it. That's what I saw in the church in Pakistan. And so as Sam continued to give us this tour of just what God was doing and, and, and taking us from spot to spot, he showed us next this, these brick factories. He said, oh, we're going to the brick factory today. There are Christians there. I had no context what this meant. These brick factories, he took us in the car, we get in there, and he goes, oh, all of the workers are Christians, go and find them. <laughs> and we pull up to this factory, we're like, can we just walk in? And it's an outdoor factory, there's like a row of homes that are probably about the size of like this right here, made by bricks. Squatty potty is right outside, and, and their cows are over here, and they're all living in these, these brick huts, for lack of a better word, right outside the brick factory where they, they work six days a week. And they're making literal clay bricks, right? And so Sam goes, these are Christians. Just go and find them, and let's just encourage the church. I said, okay. And we're just kind of following his lead at this point. And so we go in, and we, we gather with, we, as we walk in, these people are like, oh, Sam, he's been coming here for 10 years to encourage us. And like, all these people knew who he was, and, and the church knows each other in Pakistan. <laughs> Denominational boundaries are a lot less meaningful when you just know that my hope is in Jesus and we might lose our life, but we are united in the gospel, right? And so everywhere we went, everybody held each other in high esteem. <laughs> Even the churches that maybe taught a little different theologically, they held each other in high esteem knowing they were preaching the gospel together. And so as we gathered in this village or this brick factory, Sam, is we gather up and this family comes out of like 20 people, and they, uh, they said, oh, please come to our house and have tea and, and biscuits. And so he sat, and, and Sam was like, let's just pray for the church and encourage them. So we each took a turn just encouraging them, and having no idea of the context, we're just like, okay, well, man, it's cool to be a part of the church here. I'm from the church over there. <laughs> and look at how we're all united in this. There was a lady that Sam asked me to pray for, she had, a, her face was quite swollen, and he said, I think it had something to do with a thyroid or something, and he brings this lady, or she was at that little gathering, and he says, oh, can you pray for this lady? She's sick. So I lay hands on her and pray for her, and we're kind of talking to people and carrying around, or carrying on, and, and as I'm over here, Sam is talking to my cohort, uh, Pierce is his name, and Sam goes, oh, that lady, um, she's very sick. She will die in the next few months. Uh, if she cannot get the medicine, uh, but she cannot leave because she still has debt she has to pay off. Um, so she will die here because she cannot work. Is there any way we can help her get free so she can get the medicine? And Pierce is like, well, what does that look like? What do you, what? Sure. <laughs> and we came to support, like, tell us how. And he goes, well, her parents had taken a loan 
and probably they'd taken this loan just to stay alive and eat food, honestly. But because Christians are unable to get work, they oftentimes have to take a loan to pay for their food or to do any of these basic things. And so Christians are held as indentured servants under the Muslim infrastructure of the brick factories. There's 20,000 of these brick factories we learned in Pakistan, 125,000 of these brick factories in India, and many, many more in Afghanistan. We don't know the number there, but... The entire workforce at every one of these, as we came to find out, is essentially held as slaves. There are two to 400 workers at each brick factory. So do that math. There's four to six million Christians, our brothers and sisters, being held as slaves in Pakistan that will never be able to be free. Because the system has worked against them to where they have to buy their food from the landlord. The landlord is essentially the... People that run these factories, they're, uh, they're like the Islamic mafia, essentially, because they're, they're literally banded together. They trade labor here and there to make sure that like, their bricks are being made. Every brick you see in Pakistan is built off the backs of Christian slaves. <laughs> Every single brick. Brothers and sisters of you and I. And so Sam said, can we get this lady's debt paid? Uh, is it possible we could pay her debt so she could leave and go get the medicine so she won't die. And Pierce said, well, what's, how much do we need? And they did the math, and it came to 300 U.S. dollars. <laughs> That's how much we spent at Costco on a Friday. <laughs> and so we're like, of, of course we'll find $300 to free this lady. Is that all it takes? And he goes, yes, let's go talk to the landlord. And so he takes us. Can you put the first picture up there? He takes us to this guy, and they pull out this ledger where they calculate the interest, where they calculate the loan it was, it was taken, where they keep a ledger of people's debt, and they crossed it off when we gave them the cash. They crossed out that debt and wrote us a receipt. That's what he's writing. He's writing us a receipt for her life. I said, okay, she's free. We were able to get her medicine. and We were able to bring freedom to one of our sisters and her little kids, her little kids would have surely, because she would have died soon, her 10-year-old kids would have become the debt holders, and they would have been working for their entire life to try and pay off $300. And when you look at that and you go, there's four to six million of these people here held in this kind of bondage. It feels like an ocean of an unsolvable problem. Uh, and The religion of Islam in this region is used as a tool of the enemy to oppress and suppress the church. It, it is the, the God of this age has blinded people and our brothers and sisters who are joyful when they gather. When we gathered with them and we prayed with them, they were laughing and singing. and Like, I've not seen as much joy in the church in my life as I did in that oppressed version of the church in that day. Ever. And I've led worship professionally for like 20 years. <laughs> I watched the church just exuberate joy because they knew their hope was not in their task or their job or their, like, home. They knew their hope was in eternity. And surely they might be there soon because most of these workers won't live past 40 years old because of the, the conditions they work in. So we freed this lady 
And we took that receipt back to our hotel that night, and we were just, just devastated. I'd never even heard of these brick factories. Has anybody, does anybody knew, did anybody know about these? One hand I saw in this room. This is an unseen portion of the church of Jesus that is being just oppressed and, and put into bondage. So we, we went back with Sam and we were like, tell us more. And we learned more and we uh, gathered our understanding a little bit. And we, we, that's when we started to realize how many there were and how many Christians were held. Uh, and because not many Westerners show up in Pakistan, the, like the story is not told. I'd never heard this story in my life. And I've been a part of Christian ministry since I was 15. And to, to come home and be like, there's that many Christian slaves. Did you guys know there is more slaves in the world today than at any other point in the history of the world? Both in sex slave or labor trafficking, there is more today than at any other point. As the church, that is an injustice that we have the opportunity to look in the eye. <laughs> These guys are held captive because of what they believe. And so... We thought, man, what can we do? So Pierce and Jordan, the guys that were with me, and these guys are like ripped dudes. <laughs> Pierce is, he works out more than a human should. Uh, and, <laughs> and Jordan was a, like an Air Force guy. And like these guys are not like weak dudes. They said, let's go with our cameras and let's just work with them. And so they went back and Shiroz, this guy whose hand is over his face here, Shiroz, they said, Shiroz, uh, we just want to work with you for two days so we can learn. And they went, what? Like they were, they were shocked. They'd had like, in their life, they'd had maybe two or three Westerners they'd ever seen, uh, especially from the church that had come out there. And nobody had ever said, we just want to be with you. And so Pierce and Jordan worked with them for two days and came back. And they were like, that was the hardest labor I've ever done in my life. These two guys who are physically capable came back unable to lift their arms because the, the enormity of the work. And we said, what do we do? <laughs> we came to help Sam, and Sam says, look over there. What I learned in the church in Pakistan is that every believer I saw, as quickly as they got any resource at all, they gave it away. I'm not exaggerating. Sam, the missionary, he doesn't know. He would be... He would be mortified that I'm telling you his story because he's the most humble guy I think I've ever met. Sam goes, we took Sam his support for the month that um, somebody gives, and it was like $100, and we gave it to Sam. We're like, Sam, we're here. We have some cash. We're able to be generous and help. Like, this is your support. Don't use this while we're here. Ten minutes later, we watched him give it all away. <laughs> like, Sam, what were you doing? He goes, it was not mine to hold on to. <laughs> That's Jesus' money. I'm like, how do you plan to eat for the next month until $100 comes again? He says, I, that's Jesus' problem. <laughs> like, the mark of generosity and the mark of joy I saw in the Christian church in Pakistan wrecked me. I've seen a lot. I've been to 45 countries working with the church, and I've never come home and been speechless. I came home, and I sat on my couch with played dolls with my two-year-old girl, and I'm like, I don't know what I just saw. <laughs> How do I respond? But what I do know is that in the book of James, when he's writing to the church, he says, if you know the good you're to do when you don't do it, it's sinning. And that verse, all 
week long and all month long has been plaguing us going, the Lord gave us a perspective now on a portion of the church that is in need and is suffering that we have a a very limited understanding of, but we have capacity to be a part. And so we, over the coming days, while they worked with Shiroz and his family, they started asking questions and Shiroz has been building a home literally brick by brick. He smuggles a brick out from the factory in hopes that one day his kids might be done paying the debt and they could live in that house. He knows he'll never live in that house. And as he's telling us these stories, and we're, we're getting to know their family, and we just love them because they're, they're, it's him and his nine sisters and their husbands and their kids, they're all working to pay off a debt that their father had passed away with and now became theirs. And so as we got into that, to pay off the entire family's debt was like $2,400. And so we sent some messages back to our friends here in the States, and we're like, can you guys find us $4,000 right now? (laughs) Within 20 minutes, the church had given us $4,000, and we were able to go, and this is is Shiroz's family getting paid off in this picture. (laughs) And we were able to look them in the eyes and say, this isn't us. This is your brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that heard about your suffering. And they... They responded. And so that's our guys sitting with them. The next picture is the picture of the family. Those kids were learning to make bricks. They have little mini brick-making forms so they can teach the kids. <laughs> so what do we do? Is the church going, well, shoot, we come back now, and I, we can't free four million slaves, but Shiroz and his family... We can support them. <laughs> and what they've, uh, they've committed to do is, and they want to do, is they go, we have freedom now? Like, can you, I can't even describe to you the joy in their faces when Pierce and Jordan got to look at them and say, your debt has been paid. Their earnest desire now is to go help, the, to go bring freedom to others. They have no life plan. Their plan now is we've been given freedom so we can provide freedom. <laughs> and so they're going to return to the church. They're spending the next year. We said, sit, don't work. Let, let the church here provide your, like, Food so that you're in your housing so you can rest for a year and just study the word of God. Be in healthy community with the Sam and the church there and, and learn English so we can communicate better well together. They, they speak okay English, a few of them. Shiroz texts me every 40 minutes <laughs> since we left. <laughs> They're... Joy and their desire now is saying we must be a part of bringing the same freedom to those around us. They don't have any money. They don't have any resources to bring to the table. But they're going to continue now going back to the brick factories and helping us identify like people that, that we could help free one by one. If and as the Lord allows. And they, they literally are like, we have been given freedom for one reason. To bring freedom. 
I'm not following my notes at all because I feel like the only way to tell this story is to just tell you what I saw. And my job now with understanding of a portion of the need the church has is to run around and say, look at what God is doing over here. The joyful church under oppression is saying, can we go help that family? I guess I'm here to remind you, church, today that in the same way there was a price paid to purchase Shiroz's family's freedom, you and I have been bought with a price. We've been given freedom so that we can bring freedom to a lost and dying world. We may not have a dollar to give towards freeing a slave, but you and I are walking next to people held in indentured servitude to people's obligations, to people's perspectives, to money, to sin. We are walking alongside slaves of the kingdom of darkness every single day, and we have the hope of the gospel. You and I have been given freedom to set people free. I normally, when I preach, like, I, I'm not in the verge of tears the whole time. <laughs> and this isn't even preaching. This is just sharing a picture of what God's doing, right? And, and so I'm reminded as I have been scouring the Word of God and going, what do we do now? <laughs> we have people serving in Ukraine at this very moment. They're at the front lines delivering, like, literally at this moment because it's, it's about 9 p.m. They're at the front lines probably finishing up their day delivering food to people because they know They've been charged with taking the church's resource here and pushing it over here in hopes that people might hear the gospel. That's what's happening here, right? And, and, and as I've been thinking and reading here, I, I, I read in Galatians 5, a verse I'd heard a thousand times where Paul writes to the church and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm. <laughs> Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It would be like these guys going, I'm free. I should probably take another loan so I can buy this month's food. Right? And they would be submitting themselves back to this yoke of slavery that they've been freed from. How many times as the church do we do that where we go, man, I have this freedom. And then we fall quickly into this entrapment of sin of some kind. I don't know. Pick a sin, any sin. Like we are all held slave to these things that we submit ourselves to when we cede territory to the enemy in, in going to bed angry at night. <laughs> or when we give in to sexual sin that just leads to this or that. Do you see the picture I'm pointing to here? We have been given freedom. <laughs> we must run in that gift of freedom and, and declare it to a lost and dying world. I said it earlier, but there's more people in slavery today than at any other time in the history of the world. Actual slavery. But then think about how many people you know walking down your street are held slaves today. And you and I hold the keys to their freedom because we know the gospel. We have been charged with the mission of Jesus In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are made ambassadors for Christ. We are compelled. We are controlled in some versions by love. That love, that that burden on our heart for the church or for the lost comes through our understanding of the gospel. Does that make sense? 
As the church, our job is to proclaim freedom, period. We get to help provide freedom <laughs> so that they can proclaim freedom. All they want to do is go proclaim freedom to their, to their peers. In the same way, that's the job of the church here in Maryland, at my home in Camas, Washington, on the front lines of Ukraine. We as the church go into the world on mission, commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the freedom of the gospel that sets people free, that gives them a hope for eternity. I'm going to read Romans 10 here, which you might have heard a thousand times. But I want to read it through this lens of what we're seeing today and what the Lord is doing in hearts right now. Paul says this. He says, brothers, in Romans 10, verse 1, I'm reading the ESV. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Period. His heart's burden and desire is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. To all who accept the gift, like Christ is the end of the law. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend from heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That word is the word that brings freedom. And it is in your heart, church. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and saved. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, and this is what I wanted to land on today in terms of our challenge as the church, because we can't free 4 million slaves, but we can back 23 people and push them forward so that they can live on mission. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This portion, this linear logic that Paul uses where, where he says, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to, who's who's going to hear if someone's not preaching? Who's going to preach unless they're sent? I'm here to say we are the ones sent. We are, if, if I never get to spend another minute with you guys, and I pray I do because I love being a part of what God's doing out here, but if I never do, I just want to challenge you to live out the mission that you've been sent on. You've not been set free to go to Panera Bread and stand in line beside someone and ignore them. You are the bearer of 
the gospel. (laughs) Live out the mission of Jesus. Whether it's freedom like this, or freedom from sin, or like, we get to be (laughs) the ones. We are included in the opportunity to be the ones declaring the light to those around us, church. There's enormous power and authority in this. So I, I guess I'm saying, you're the one sent. <laughs> this, this only happens if you are the ones who go, I recognize my sentness. And I'm not saying you need to be a missionary or do this or do that, but, or like become a pastor. What I'm saying is the Lord has sent you to people that Shiroz will never meet who are in darkness. And the Lord has sent all of us on mission. <laughs> Why would we abstain from that? And miss out on the joy of seeing death come to life. Of seeing slaves set free. We miss out on the joy of being the church when we sit on the sidelines. And we don't engage in the gospel as it's commanded us to do. Please only hear this encouragement, church. Live out the mission of Jesus. I, I live on the West Coast. You live on the East Coast. These are some of the most, like, dare I say, entrapped portions of our nation <laughs> in terms of the way we think, in terms of what culture demands of us. Sometimes culture grabs us by the collar and slams us against the wall and says, say this or think this, right? We're held slave to these things when we submit to them or we, we give over to them. Be a church known for saying, Our freedom comes in Jesus. (laughs) Don't let culture and society, like, bully us into a corner and say, you must think this. The church in Pakistan that I witnessed, they get bullied into a corner every day. They can't get a job because they're a Christian. They can't buy food because they're a Christian. They end up in slavery trying to stay alive because they follow Jesus. And yet they do it boldly. They turn their speakers up all the way, and they say, let the world hear that we have freedom in Jesus. What if our churches were marked like that? Like, I realize we live in a place where we have freedoms and luxury and things that we get to do differently than other parts of the world, and that's not to make you feel guilty or to be critical of that freedom and luxury. It's instead to say, let's, let's run in that freedom and be a part of the church in a way that God's enabled us to be. <laughs> we only got to take food to the front lines because Random little gatherings of the church like this, scattered around uh, Australia and Germany and here, like the U.S. and, and England, said, we've got $5,000. Go. <laughs> I found people, or we, a Jesus Mission found people that were willing to go, and this part of the church found resources that were willing to go, and we together are seeing thousands of people come to Jesus in eastern Ukraine because of the church being the greatest aid organization in the history of the world. <laughs> we got to respond faster than anybody. Within 48 hours of the first missiles falling in Ukraine, we had people on the front lines and on the borders and scouting out how we're going to get involved. It took some of the bigger aid organizations five months to get involved. That's shocking. And that's not because we're quick and mobilized. Like It's because the church said we're in. The church said there's... A church in need and a hope of the gospel that we can bring to the table. Let's go. I guess my invitation to you, church, is that can happen here. 
There is crisis happening everywhere around us. Within five minutes of your house, I guarantee there's someone in crisis. You don't have to go over there. And so this is an invitation always. I'm always inviting people, be a part of this stuff because it's awesome. And it is incredible to look people like this family in the eyes and see the freedom and the joy that comes. But also, we get to do this here. Sam asked that I tell you a little bit of the story of what happened in my neighborhood because we live in like a very blue-collar part of the community where everyone's either a garbage man or a welder, and I'm a missionary. That's why we live in the, the ghetto of our town. <laughs> but, and I don't say that in a silly way. I just, like, the Lord put us right there. And so living on mission in that neighborhood is actually kind of difficult. I don't have people pointing a gun at me and saying, what do you believe? But I talk to my neighbors about what I believe, and they literally say, like, they use a lot of expletives. <laughs> it's like, how do I say that in a nice... They, they just go, you believe what you believe, blankety blank blank, I'm good. <laughs> but my heart was burdened for the houses that we could see. And I tell you this story, not to say look at what we did, but to say look at what the gospel does when there's intentionality, when there's opportunity, when the church engages in the work of the gospel in their neighborhood. My wife and I, we said, okay, it's like... Same thing, like eating an elephant. How do you preach the gospel in my neighborhood? Well, I can see that house, (laughs) and I can see that house, and I can see that one. Let's start there. And so we really intentionally just spent hours and hours and hours outside of our home, in our driveway, talking to these people. Any chance we saw them come out, we ran out. If they were barbecuing, we ran over with a slab of meat and said, can we put this on? Let's talk together. It was laborsome (laughs) because they were aggressive against what I believed. Literally, they were like, don't tell me about that. Here, drink this beer. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, they, they were pushing back. And so we just kept laboring and loving and, and going, okay, we're just going to keep showing up. We're going to keep showing up. Anything they do outside, we're there. Anytime they're doing something, we're there. Over the course of the next five years, my wife got used to like on Friday nights, they would start like a bonfire out in one of their yards and they'd turn on country music way too loud. And she's like, I got to get up at five to work. This is so frustrating. But I was, she was like, you got to go out there. <laughs> and I'd go out there and I'd sit with them at this fireplace until two in the morning going, man, I got to work tomorrow. What am I doing here? And we were intentional. And again, I say this so that you just see intentionality in our communities is important. I would call, I would label what we were doing as counting the cost. We knew that to win there, win them for Jesus was going to cost us a lot of time and energy and probably money. And so we started pouring that in and we said, this is where our mission field is. We're living here. Let's do this. Over the course of the next years, like the relationship was good, and it took literally years of this. Well, then COVID happened, and I remember a night where we were sitting around a fire. Everybody's sitting really far apart <laughs> around this fire, and everybody's drinking, and one guy's smoking weed, and all these people are talking, and then they're, like, one of them literally said, why are you and Sarah still smiling? None of us are going to have our jobs next week. <laughs> and we got to say, because our hope is not in our jobs, guys. Our hope is in eternity, and they, that, that, these temporary things don't impact the joy that's in me for eternity. And they all just went, whoa, oh. And I, that night, I got to start sharing the gospel with them more openly around the fire at like 2 in the morning. And I remember talking about what it meant to be a Christian and how if you do this, and if you, like what we just read, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you're saved, right? I'm telling them this around the fire 
and my neighbor Chris, who's sitting there, and he's smoking weed, and he, he literally puts his weed down, and he goes, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> because he's like, I, I don't have that relationship you're talking about, but I've, I believe Jesus is real. I just don't know what to do. I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> and so we started saying, okay, on Tuesday nights, I'm making dinner in my house. I don't care who comes. I'm going to teach you what it means to be in the church. Because <laughs> I know none of you guys are going to go to church. In fact, they had told me over and over again, we will never go to church. <laughs> With many other words in the middle. It took weeks, like literally four or five weeks of spending like $100 to buy all the food and putting out this thing and going like, our door is open. I made a Facebook group with all our neighbors. I'm like, I just named it Tuesday Night Church at Andy's House. (laughs) And we're like, hey, we've got tacos tonight. Nobody came. Hey, we got pasta tonight. Nobody came. For weeks, at one point, Sarah's like, you got to stop spending money, all this money on food. Like our whole grocery budget is going to food for one night and it's not even being used. (laughs) On the fifth week. And I say this again to encourage you that there is a cost to be paid. <laughs> it is high and it will take you time. And it is it, it, in the same way the church in Pakistan has counted the cost and said, if this is the cost, so be it. We should be people known as saying, if that's the cost, so be it. On that fifth week, this lady, Sarah, who is Chris, the guy, they wouldn't mind me telling you this story. But Sarah comes in and one other lady, Yulia, who's actually from Mykolaiv in Ukraine, where we later ended up taking food to, like, her village. Uh, they're in our house, and they're like, Sarah, I read, like, two verses of Psalms or something, and I say, this is how we pray. Can I pray for you? This is what prayer is. It's us asking God to intervene on our behalf. Like, I'm literally saying, okay, here's, like, the babyest steps of what it means to believe in God. Can we pray for you? And she's like, well, me and Chris have been fighting, like, for days. I don't think we're going to make it. I think we're going to end up breaking up. And so we prayed for her. The next day she comes, she's like, I don't know what the just happened. But it's like we weren't fighting at all. Like, we're better. <laughs> what was that thing we just did? And over the course of the next, like, three months, every single thing we prayed for, as people started coming into our driveway and into our house, every single thing we prayed for, the Lord did within 48 hours. One of my neighbors who was coming, he's like, we haven't seen my brother. He's off doing drugs and stuff. We haven't seen him in a decade. Can we pray for my brother? The next day, his other friend calls him and goes, dude, your brother just showed up and was my Uber Eats driver. Like, the Lord was revealing his power over and over again to these people who are seeking the truth. But it took five years to get to declare the truth in a way that they would receive it. Months later, we ended up baptizing seven of the people on our street in the Columbia River. (laughs) That's the power of the gospel changing lives. This week, that family, Chris and Sarah, this is all like none of this was planned, and I'm just telling you a picture of the church as it looks. This week, Sarah and Chris, that family, they have a 10-year-old son who is having headaches, they took him in and he was diagnosed, diagnosed with a brain tumor that was cancerous. And they, they operated like the next day, pulled out like a golf ball sized tumor. And this family, our little tiny ghetto version of the church that comes to my house on Tuesday nights, the Facebook group is still called Tuesday Night Church at Andy's house. Like, they rushed to their aid. 
in a way that only the church can do. And this is people who two years prior were saying, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want nothing to do with that. Now they're going, they're posting on Facebook, can you guys pray for our kid? Like, these guys are saying, can I bring you a meal? Like, the church was birthed out of the gospel, and the pointing to eternity, the church, a healthy version of the church that doesn't look like this one, was birthed out of the gospel in its simplistic form. You and I have been given freedom so we can set people free. Do not, do not sit on the sidelines, church. Count the cost. It is high. (laughs) Maybe the Lord's calling you to come drive food to the front lines. Maybe he's giving you a burden for one of these families that you say, I want to help do this. Maybe he's giving you a burden for your neighbor that you are imagining in your face. face. You're you're seeing your neighbor and you're going, that's the, the one that I need to bring freedom to. Let's be a church known for that. God, I pray for this church as these people are gathered as they as they sing praises to you, as they worship you, as they declare your goodness, I pray that that would birth a response to the gospel in such a mighty, impactful, forceful way that their neighbors will observe the change in their lives. That the church on the other side of the world will go, man, they care about us over there? God, you've given us such freedom And if we're in this room and we understand that freedom, I pray you would burden our hearts for the lost and for the the oppressed and for the injustice in the world. God, give us a heart that breaks so that we can point all of those people who are being wronged or all of those people held bondage to sin or held bondage by slavers. God, give us a burden for them that the church might grow, that the gospel would be declared, that freedom would be just occurring as we declare the gospel. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.